It's commonly said that I can predict your success as a leader simply by looking at the people you spend the most time with. Are they high caliber people that are challenging you to think differently about the world? Or do they think small? Because if they're just thinking small, that's going to inspire you to live a similar kind of life. You know, I've been blessed to have just incredible peers in my own life. People that have done amazing things that are making billion dollar level impacts in the world. And what I've found is that this caliber of people, these these kinds of people, they think a little bit differently. And if you can learn from that, if you can apply the principles and the perspective they have on life, it will help you become more successful at what you're trying to do. And that's why I am so excited today to have my guest, Liz Elton. She has built a billion-dollar business. She's author of Dream Big and Win, and she is number 71 on Forbes, America's Richest Self-Made Women. In fact, she's one step higher than Ellen DeGeneres on that list. Liz, I am so glad you're here. Thanks for joining. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I want to dive right into it. Liz, what did you do? How did you build a billion-dollar business? Oh, well, thank you for asking. And, well, to, to, to give you a little background, I discovered as I was growing up that I loved languages. I was fortunate to live in Portugal when I was eight, and I started studying Portuguese and French. And then when I was 10, I moved to Canada and continued with French and then started studying Spanish and Latin. And by the time I had graduated from high school, I'd studied four languages. So I'd realized, wow, languages really are my passion. So went to college, which happened to be in the United States, and was kind of tormented by, oh my God, what do I major in? Because I was a very practically minded person. I, I still am. And I thought, I need to do something practical. Okay. And I thought, I love languages, but what on earth am I going to do with that? So I kind of struggled and hemmed and hot. And then I remember I called my dad and I said, you know, dad, I don't know what to do. I have to choose my major. And this was sophomore year of college. Uh, I, tomorrow's the deadline. I love languages, but what on earth am I going to do with it? Mm. He said, Liz, you know, pursue your passion, follow what you love, and the rest will take care of itself. So I majored in languages, not knowing what I was going to do with them. Then after college, actually during college, after majoring in languages, I studied in Spain for a year during college, sorry. And then after college, worked in Venezuela, came to New York after that, where, where I currently live when I was 21 years old and was fortunate to get a job at a translation company. I thought, wow, how perfect is this? I'm combining my love for languages with business. This is what I'm going to do. So I ended up getting a job at the translation company and worked there for three years. This was another translation company, not mine, <laughs> and loved it. I loved the industry. First, I was in production, on the production side, getting the translation work done. And then I was on the sales side, where I got to deal with clients and solve their problems and provide translations to them. And loved the industry. I thought, I can do this better. I have some ideas on how this could be done better. I really saw a gap between what clients needed and what was available at our company and in the industry as a whole back then. 
So I ended up leaving that company after three years, went back to school, got my MBA from NYU Business School. And then I thought during my time there, okay, again, what to major in? And I ended up picking finance along with international business. I loved international business and I thought finance will be practical. Anyway, ended up doing that and got a job in finance right after getting my MBA from NYU. Mm. I thought this is what I really should be doing because, you know, I just got my MBA. I need a safe, secure career. I need to make sure I can pay my bills. So I did it. I tried it. And after four weeks, without getting into the whole story, which I talk about a little bit in my book about what happened and why I was so miserable, I realized, oh my goodness, I made a huge mistake after four weeks. And I said to my boss, I'm so sorry. This is not right for me. Um, how much time do you need? And he said, two weeks is fine. So I gave two weeks notice and after six weeks, quit the job and fine it. And then I thought, oh my God. I, what what do I do? I just knew I didn't like that. And now I need to start making some money. I had no money. So mm. I thought about translations. I mentioned earlier that I saw a gap between what was available in the industry and what was needed. And I thought, if not now, when? I, I will start a translation company and we will fill that gap. And if we're going to do this, since there are already 10,000 translation companies out there, because there were at the time 10,000 translation companies out there, I thought, mm. we've got to be the biggest and the best and really be a pioneer in this business. And that was the goal out of the NYU Business School dorm room. So that was sort of how and why I started the company. I want to go back to the moment. So you, you left this business that you thought was going to be your career just after six weeks. But then you took the bold step of starting something brand new, especially in such a crowded space. What did that feel like? Did people think you were crazy for starting a business? Yes. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. I think the people that I had gone to business school with definitely thought I was crazy because this was back in 1992. And these are the people, they had their MBAs, usually in finance. 70% of the people who went to Stern, NYU Business School, majored in finance. And they worked at places like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan and the big names in finance. Or if they had majored in marketing, maybe they'd work at Procter & Gamble or American Express. So big name companies. And people were not entrepreneurs back then. I mean, in the same way. There were there was no Google. There was no Amazon. I mean, this was before all of that. There was no Facebook, for sure. Um, or, yeah, Meta. Um, anyway, so they thought, my friends thought I was crazy. And, you know, my dad, who was a major inspiration to me, and he gave me so many, like, he was a major mentor. And I talk about him a lot in my book and his values and philosophies and how I really tried to adopt them. He even said to me, well, Liz, you know, I, I know you'll, you may have a lot of fun starting a translation company, but I don't think you're going to make much money. And I thought, oh boy, oh boy, this is really, people do not think this is a good idea, but my heart was not in finance. And I thought life is short and how am I going to take myself to work every day and put in the hours and put in the time and feel the way I feel. I've got to do this and I will just prove everyone wrong. And I think that is so often what 
people, what happens to people? People are told, oh, don't, it's not practical. You won't be able to pay the bills that it, it, it's going to fail. So I say, no, you know, don't let that stop you. Use that as inspiration. Use that as fuel to, to work harder and prove them and them all wrong, prove them all wrong. So that, that sort of was my thinking process. And, and of course I, you know, then if I tell the story of how we built the company, I was incredibly lucky. I mean, we worked hard for sure. I worked hard. We all worked hard, but I found people who, who wanted to go on the journey with me and build this company. And so then, you know, finding the right people and timing and luck plays a major role as well. And that's certainly what happened. The one thing I really like about what you said kind of goes back to how I started all sort of this podcast, this episode about you want people in your life that can support and believe in you. Because just as you mentioned, there's so many people out there and may even be your own family that are telling you your idea stinks. It's not going to work out. But if you truly have conviction in it, if you think it's the right thing to do, you've got to step beyond that, put the energy for it, actually making that dream a reality. Where did you find the energy or the inspiration to put one step in front of another when everyone was telling you no? Yeah. And I will tell you, and, but, and I'm also thinking related to what you just said, I think what makes it easier is, and you know, I just mentioned my dad, who I mention a lot in the book, who said, huh, does this really make any sense? One thing he did say to me, which I think is a really important lesson for all of us, is he, he always said things like, don't worry about what you're going to be be and do for the next 10, 15, 20 years. Just worry about two years in front of you. Just think about two years. Think of your career in that way. And I think I did think that way. And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this my all. I'm going to give it everything I have. And after a couple of years, if it doesn't work out, you know, I will have learned something. I will have met some people and I will go do something else. And I think that's really important for us all to remember because it's very easy to just say, no, I can't do it. I don't want to take the risk if you think it's forever. But worst case scenario, you try it for a couple of years and if it doesn't work out, you do something else. And I think that was what I was thinking. But then, of course, when we started, kind of, I, I know I can just speak for myself. I threw myself into it with everything I had, but knew if by chance it didn't work out, just move on to the next thing. So, sorry, back to your question. Yeah, how how did we how did we get the company off the ground? Was that the question? It was where did you find the energy to actually move forward despite all of what people are telling you? You yeah. sort of answered that through knowing that it's just going to be the next couple of years, right? Yes. Being more okay with the possibility of failure. Yes. This is an okay thing. Absolutely, and I think that's super important because otherwise we can just be paralyzed because. We're, we think, oh, gosh, but what if it doesn't work out? It, it's not a lifetime decision. It's not nearly as big as getting married or having kids, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just a choice you make and you give it everything you have. And I think that's really how I found the fuel to do it. And I will say I'm a big believer in doing it when you're young and when you're yeah. single and when you don't have kids because it's so much easier to give it everything you have to, to work. 80, 100, 120 hours a week when you're in that situation. And I think that was helpful to me too. I was able to just throw myself into it. Um, 
you know, certainly people can do it when they're older, perhaps when they're empty nesters, but I think it's a wonderful thing to do when you're young. And, and so many of the things that you think you don't know yet, that you haven't learned, you learn by doing, right? We all make mistakes along the way and then, okay, that didn't work. I'll try this instead. And that that and you do that when you're and you can do that when you're young. You don't have to wait until you know everything. And my initial thought when I started that job in finance before I gave notice um, was, well, I'll go, I'll make some money, I'll learn. You know, it's someone else's company. But then I realized, wait, I, my happiness is there too, and I have an idea, and I'll I'll learn on my own time and my own dollar and and that's okay that's okay and it really does work well that way i think and it, it can work well that way mm. hey it's mike let's beat the banks at their own game traditional banks don't have great interest rates but they charge businesses like norhart higher rates and they keep all the profits why don't we cut out the middleman and connect directly thus leaving more for both of us Invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and get more than you ever could at a bank? This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. I love that. That almost, I shouldn't say fearlessness because I'm sure you still felt some degree of fear, but willingness to fail and just get in there and try is fantastic. I want to now understand, so walk us through, what was it like starting the business and how did you grow it in such a competitive space? Well, I will say the early days were grim. <laughs> it was in starting the business, and this was back in 1992, pre-internet. So no emails, no internet, nothing. So what it was, in, in my case, was it was making hundreds of phone calls a day to find out who at a company would have a need for our service, for translation services. And then once I got to the got the person's name, then sending out a letter to them. So back in the day, I would require myself to make 300 phone calls a day or the number of phone calls I needed to get 300 names into a spreadsheet, put the names in the spreadsheet, and then send out 300 letters a day to potential clients. And that was what I did day after day after day. And so it was grim. And there weren't a lot of calls back in the early days. Mm -hmm. um, this was out of a dorm room. But I did finally get an incoming call. And after a few months of that after tens of thousands of letters had gone out and I remember the call well I remember exactly who it was for it was for an English into Slovak translation for a, a law firm and did it and that was the beginning we were off to the races and then you know there were some funny stories back then like that first client after we did the job for them they wanted to show up to pick it up they said they wanted to check out the operation the office and this was in the NYU dorm room so I remember while I said, oh, great. Okay. Thank you. And I, so I said, okay, Tuesday at 2 p.m. And I remember I got downstairs well before 2 p.m., waited in the lobby of the dorm. And the moment they appeared, I handed them the floppy disk. I said, great to meet you. Thanks so much. Thinking they, hoping, thinking they wouldn't notice it was actually a dorm. 
because offices were a big deal back then. Now, not so much, right? Everyone's working remotely. But I remember it well. And that actually, something like that actually happened with the second client as well, where they actually showed up at the dorm room, the apartment. The So, I mean, that was the second client. But bottom line is, from that, I realized we need to be in an office. So the goal was, I thought, okay, we need to come up with a goal. And my goal was, after six months, we need to be able to pay for an office. So we are going to sell enough to be able to pay for our first office within six months. And right at the end of six months, we're able to do that. But one important lesson I see from all of this is make the phone calls or, you know, put, send out the letters. And now it would maybe be send the emails or make the connections on LinkedIn. But a certain number a day, whatever the number you think you need to do to get that the the revenues that are that you outline in your goals and just be tough on yourself don't let the day pass without doing them and in the early days you know things are grim as i say and it might take a few months to get one or two projects but then for us what happened is that one project for a given client would turn into multiple projects and the multiple projects would turn into a million dollar relationship I mean, we were in B2B, of course. So, you know, when you're dealing with top companies, you may start with a $150 project. That was our minimum charge. But then that same client, that big name client, that Fortune 100 company is likely to have a million dollars worth of business in a year easily. So in our case, it was get that first project, spoil the client with quality and service, and turn that project into multiple projects and turn those multiple projects into a big relationship. But I think the key here is be tough, have the goals, the financial goals, the revenue goals, then think, okay, what do I need to do as far as actions to make those goals? And then on the actions, make yourself do them every day. Don't let yourself off the hook and then be patient because that first job will come in and that'll turn into multiple jobs and that'll then kind of explode. And I hear this over and over with companies you know, the same way, you know, like in the first year, I, the, they may get five projects, but then the five projects grows exponentially. Year two, 25 projects. Year three, 100 projects and so on. So anyway. Uh, that's awesome. So walk me through, how many phone calls do you think that you made before getting that first set? Oh, that's a great question. Thousands. I mean, thousands. And I think that's just so important to remember to be patient. And that's why I think dream big, but don't quit. Don't quit because so many times you want to quit and don't quit because if you keep putting in the effort, it will pay off. But it was thousands before that first project. And it was probably tens of thousands. Uh, me of calls even well I don't know about calls but certainly letters went out in those months and so yes it's it takes a lot and I I think you just have to be patient and not just think well I'll send out 20 or 50 or 100 and that'll do it no and I think that's where a lot of people get stopped is they don't realize how much energy it really takes to get past that initial hurdle yeah and that, sorry to what well, and that's why I say, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Perfect. but I say work today like no one else will so you can live and give tomorrow like no one else can. 
And what I mean by that is put in the time, put in the hours, treat it like it is the most important thing in the world to you. You go to sleep at night thinking, how can you sell more of this? Wake up in the morning. How can you sell more of this and really make it your obsession and give it everything you have and it will pay off. I'm sorry, Mike, back to you. No, that's great. And I, I think for those who are listening right now, maybe take a moment and rewind what she just said. And it's so powerful. If you're really paying careful attention and you're starting to see that there are differences, again, in the way that people think who have great success in life. So that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. I want to jump now, though, for a moment to the growth of the company because you don't become a billion-dollar company unless you go through some serious growth. And as I understand, and as many people have learned, that growth is super hard. What was that experience like for you, and how did you get through that? Yes, it was hard. I mean, it was a lot of hours and worked very hard on sales, 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 which I've been talking about, getting that business. And then what happens after focusing intensely on sales, because we didn't have funding, and I, I talk about that a lot. I, I think you can do it by bootstrapping without funding. It's so much better for so many reasons, and we didn't have it. So you have to focus intensely on sales to pay every single bill. So that's hard because it's a lot of hours. And then once you get that sales, the sales that you worked so hard to bring in, then you need to deliver for the client. And what we found and some of our challenges were we'd work so hard and then we get a project and then we'd get a second from that client and a tenth from a client, that client and a hundredth from that client. And some of the challenge was some of those projects were very large. Like For example, the reason the client would want to work with us and be willing to work with us is they might have something like a million words that needed to be translated in three weeks. That's hard to get done <laughs> through any translation company. I mean, I give an example like that because that was often how we were able to bring clients in, doing what others wouldn't do. And it wasn't easy for us either or, or our translators or our project managers. So then it became a lot of all-nighters for a lot of people. People were working very hard to get it done. We needed to figure out how to get it done. So we needed to bring in employees, project managers to get this done. And the project managers needed to bring in many translators and make sure they were all tested. And the reason I say all this is you work so hard on the sales, but then of course you need to deliver. And it was tough to bring in people quickly enough when we were able to bring in the sales that we wanted. And we made some mistakes. We made some hiring mistakes. And then we made some leadership mistakes because we didn't have the leadership training. We didn't have the experience. So it was a lot of learning by doing. And I know I made a lot of mistakes as far as um, you know, the right qualities to look for in people and then how I I led, how I managed people. I, I did a lot of things wrong. I lost some good people. So, you know, I can talk about examples, but, you know, things like people had to, were working too many hours and I understood why is because I couldn't bring people in quickly enough. So I had to find ways to bring people in faster. I had to find ways to manage people's hours. Uh, that type of thing. You know, in the early days, I thought, well, if they're pulling small nighters, we'll just pay them more. We'll just give them a bonus. We'll just give them a raise. But of course, that didn't work. Eventually, they quit. They needed their life, too. So those are some of the mistakes and str I made and struggles I made, the struggles I had. 
to, you know, well scaling the company. But yeah. I think you get better at figuring out who to bring in, at finding ways where people don't have to work as many, you don't have to work more than a certain number of hours a week, you know, where their schedules can be controlled. You figure it out as you go along. But yeah, many struggles along the way. Absolutely. Yeah, I could not agree more. I mean, as you're scaling up, it's like something new hits you on a regular basis because as you grow, there's just new problems you got to face. And the challenge is you've never faced that problem before. So now you're going to work even harder to figure out a solution to solve that problem while maintaining the current business you have going on. It's It feels a little chaotic. How, how did you manage that chaos? How, how did you keep yourself sane through that growth? Well, thank you for asking. No, you're right. It was it was a lot of mistakes because you're right. There, new problems keep cropping up. And for, I mean, and challenges. Initially, I, in my role, ne needed to or got to deal with the clients, right? I was selling, 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 and then I was managing the projects. But then as we scaled, I was dealing more with the employees and employee issues and how to keep them happy. And then it was more about strategy. Okay, we were growing, but what more can we do? What more innovations can we come up with? But yeah, how do you deal with it? I think what was good for me is we had amazing employees and we got so many of our ideas from our employees. And then our clients, we got so many of idea, ideas from our ideas from our clients. So I think that's how you deal with it. I think if you can bring in people and hire them and compensate them in such a way where they want to scale the company the same way you do, then they will be part of the solution to these, of helping you solve these problems. Like, I mean, I talk about this in my book, but I think if you can pay them so they are paid as if they are entrepreneurs, as if they are running a business within your business. And when they're selling a lot and they're profitable, they're making a lot more than they would elsewhere. And then they want to grow the company the same way the owners do. And so, as I said, the way I dealt with it is wonderful input from our employees, fantastic ideas from our clients. And the way I dealt with that is I'm a big believer on one-on-one -on -one meetings with employees. Um, so meeting with them once a, once a week or once every two weeks if you, I don't have time or if you don't have time. And finding out, you know, what would they do differently if they owned the company? And that made it so um, we were able to come up with some great ideas or just solve some of the problems that we were talking about earlier that just keep cropping up as you grow. And, um, you know, the same thing goes for conversations with clients. So I think the employees and the clients really saved us as we went through the challenges. Hey, it's Mike. Passive income is one of this year's hottest buzzwords, but what is it? Well, passive income is when the elite make money and the rest of us sleep. Here at Norhart, we decided to open up this opportunity to everyone by giving you the chance to invest with us and earn fantastic interest rates without doing a thing. To learn more, visit norhart.com. That's N-O-R-H. ART.com and click on invest. So if you're looking to grow your returns, then why not join Norhart Invest today and see what you can build towards. 
This is an offering by Norhart Invest. Investments can only be made through the Norhart Invest website. For more information, including the offering circular, please visit norhart.com forward slash invest. I love that. Wow. So as you're now getting to a larger stage, what do you think that you guys were doing differently to be more successful in such a crowded space, right? You had so many other competitors. Yeah, we did. And, um, you know, I think, as I said, I think we made some mistakes along the way and we learned the mistakes. But my thought in the beginning was, I just want to spoil the client with service because I mentioned early on that there were thousands of competitors at them there, but most of them were small um, translation companies that were started and run by translators. And the translators were very talented linguists, but they were busy translating. So they couldn't scale their company and they just trying to keep it all together as they were translating. So I thought, okay, what we're going to do differently is we're going to spoil the client with the best service out there. Um, we're going to do things with urgency. We're going to operate with urgency, whether it's providing the fastest quote in the industry, like either in real time, if the client calls us up, or within minutes, if it's uh, by email. Um, so, okay, so I mentioned, you know, spoiling them with service, urgency, providing the absolute best quality out there, um, becoming, becoming, sorry, sorry, ISO certified. That was something we did. And especially when we did it in every one of our office, that was unique in the industry. Another thing was having an office in every major city around the world. Now, that was a goal from day one, but over time we were able to actually do that. Um, having any kind of deliverable. Back in the day when we started, the my the company that I was at originally only offered a couple deliverables. I wanted to be able to offer the client anything they wanted, you know, any kind of software, anything related to foreign languages. And then related services, related lines of business um, is something we got into over time that our competitors weren't doing. Um, so that had more to do with, for example, we were dealing with the biggest law firms in the country on their translation services, but often these services were um, needed because of litigation they were in. And in litigation, they needed other things like copies and scanning and blowbacks and things related to what happens in a case. And so we thought, why don't we start offering those services? Um, another service we added was staffing services because we realized not only they, did they need us to do language work for us, perhaps they needed us to provide them with on-site translators. And then we started offering other staffing services, like whatever positions they needed. So, And then other technology solutions. So those are some of the things we were doing differently. Mm, it's, it's great to see all the additional add-ons that you provided, that service you provided to step above the rest. And obviously you've had a lot of success with that in building that billion dollar business. Help, help us understand, what was it like the exiting process? Because if I understand correctly, you've exited the business since. Was that a bittersweet moment? Like what was that experience like for you? Well, one thing I you know haven't talked about, but it was a crazy final five years for me mm -hmm. in my company because one of the things we did wrong, my partner and I, when we started, was we did not do the proper paperwork for our company. And I mentioned this for any and all entrepreneurs. 
think it's such an important lesson I learned that I didn't learn until it was too late, but that's okay. I want to share it. Basically, when we started, we started as 50-50 owners and we were broke. We had no money. Uh, I had a few thousand dollars in my savings account and we, I mean, he actually had $90,000 in school loans to, to Stern and the place where we got our MBAs. So he was um, a fellow um, student. So anyway, bottom line is we had no money. So we did not hire an accountant. We did not hire an attorney. We ended up being 50-50 owners with no shareholders agreement. And it's so important to have a shareholders agreement um, to define roles, responsibilities, decision-making, dispute resolution, what happens in the event of death, disability, divorce, and a buy-sell provision. So the bottom line is, in order to sell, I needed to go through four intense years of litigation because we didn't have a shareholders agreement. And I did ultimately end up selling. And it was bittersweet. Um, it was bittersweet because the final few years were challenging because my partner and I were in litigation. And I, I don't recommend that for anybody, but sometimes it just needs to be done if you're kind of at an impasse where you can't move forward on things and you're the situation we were in. But it was bittersweet. And at first, I didn't want to do it because I felt like my whole identity was tied up in my role as CEO. And the company was my baby. My heart and soul was in it. I The way all entrepreneurs feel, or I would think virtually all. Um, so at first, it was quite difficult and traumatic. And then once I did it, I thought, wow, this is such a blessing because I had been doing it for 26 years. And that's longer than a lot of entrepreneurs. That's a longer time than perhaps I even expected to do it. And there were so many things I wanted to do in the world that I had never had time to do. I mean, I wanted to spend a little more time with my kids was one thing. I had never gone on maternity leave, not one day. So I did get to spend a bit of time. My kids were in ninth and 11th grade in high school. So I got to spend a bit more time with them. Then I also started a foundation. Um, and that's a lot of what I spend my time on now. It's called the Elizabeth Elting Foundation. And basically what we do is we help support and empower women and people from marginalized communities. And um, we focus a lot on supporting entrepreneurs who are women and from marginalized communities. We also get involved in a number of other things like heart disease, cancer, gun safety, hunger, etc. So it's incredibly rewarding. And then I also have had the time to write this book where I'm able to share lessons about, um, you know, what I learned based on what I did right and the many things I did wrong. And it's been very special and rewarding too, because it's the book I wish I had had when I started my company before I learned by trial and error. So yes, that's what I've been up to. Huh. I want to dive into both of those things for a moment. Uh, first, tell us a little bit more about the foundation. Like what inspired you to start it? And like, what is your dream for it? So I started it because I know how incredibly lucky I am and I've been. I I happened to be born to the right parents who emphasized education and paid for my education, undergrad and business school, and how lucky am I for that. 
and the importance of hard work and to pursue my passion. So I was very fortunate. And then I ended up being able to do what I did with my company. And I met the right people. We brought on the right people and we were able to build it into the world's largest in the industry. So how lucky was I? Um, so that's one reason because I, I mean, I guess I felt like I wanted to give back. I had always thought I wanted to give back, but when I was building the company and running the company, there was no time. So I would, you know, we would write checks now and then, but there was, there was not the time. So I wanted to give back. I also saw issues with how women were treated in business and in life in general. So I wanted to address those issues. So, I mean, I think these are the reasons I didn't have the time and I saw the issues and I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones. Everyone deserves to have the same advantage as I did. So as a result, I, I focus on helping, you know, one of the things I, I, we do with our foundation is we fund a lot of um, scholarships. Um, you know, I mentioned the importance of education and then I, you know, and then we do the other things I did, but it's because of my good fortune. It's because of the problems I saw, 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 and I wanted to, now that I have the time, address those issues. I mean, I just believe everybody should get a fair chance. Everybody from anywhere in the world, any walk of life, any race, religion, anything deserves the same opportunity. And so that's that's why I wanted to do it. That's so great. I mean, you know, you, you've lived life. You've made a big impact. You've obviously generated a lot of wealth for yourself. So no one would fault you for living the rest of your life on a beach with a martini in your hand. No. <laughs> but you're not doing that. Instead, you're saying, how lucky am I to have this opportunity? Now I want to give back and give other people as best a shot that they can to have their own success. Love that. Thank you. I want to underst- I want to go into your book now. Can you tell us what are some of the lessons that you share in the book that you wish you had known when you started? Oh, gosh. So many, um, you know, and I, I will say it's kind of, as I said, it's the book I wished I'd had when I was in my 20s, when I was starting my career. I, um, you know, there are definitely some stories from me growing up in some of the crazy, humiliating, just traumatic situations that I had. And I think the lesson from those is, boy, you know, if you can make it through this, you know, use this adversity to to give you confidence, to give you drive and think, okay, I've been through this. So, so yeah, I, I can, you know, I can do anything. I, I don't know. In some ways when bad things happen to you, well, I mean, I, I guess I, I, I'm trying not to elaborate too much on what's in there just because I don't want to have, you know, I, I could get a little long-winded with it. But the bottom line is I think adversity can fuel motivation um, I think, um, you know, another lesson is show up when others aren't. I tell a story about that. And if you do what others aren't willing to do, you can really, you know, that can kind of get your business off the ground. So I think that's important. Um, I definitely, when people hear about me and some of the thing aspects of my personality and what I've re- went through, I think they realize, well, uh, if she can do it, I can do it too. So I, I hope it inspires people from that perspective because I truly believe that, you know, I was, I was shy, I was risk averse, I was uh, overly analytical and perfectionist like, and I, I still, you know, kind of pushed those things aside and said, no, I'm going to do it. 
And so, you know, I try to inspire people from that standpoint too. I talk about um, how to retain employees, how to motivate employees. Um, I talk about how to set up, you know, the company as far as the proper paperwork and partner partnership uh, uh, situation. I say don't be 50-50 owners because I didn't, you know, talk too much about that. But if you are doing it with a partner, it's much better to be the majority owner because with the, the decision maker, because you can get yourself into a situation where you're, where you're not agreeing every day. And that can really cause a lot of problems and, and be a difficult way to run a business. Um, I mean, so those are some of the things I talk about. It's awesome. You know, looking back at your life, is there, what would you say to your younger self, maybe as you're entering school, is there some tip or a bit of wisdom that you would want to tell your younger self? Yes. I, I think I would say don't um, don't let people get you down. Like when you go through tough stuff, and I talk about how difficult high school was for me, for example, and I, I had no idea that, um, you know, I just got to forget about those people. They're irrelevant. Don't worry about what they think. They you know, I know best. I know best what what is important in life, how to treat people, how to be, how to build it. I mean, and I, I'm not saying me, I'm saying you to your listeners. Like, I think you are your, you know best. Go with your instincts. You know, don't let people tell you how things need to be. Follow your instincts, follow your heart. Um, you know, don't be overly analytical and perfectionist about like about things, as I said, and dream big, think big, because people may, you know, try to put you in a box, as you said at the beginning of this. I mean, the people you're around might try to hold you back because that's where they are. But no, think big, dream big, um, and take the risk and pursue your passion. Don't quit. And it, that will take you to the top. Ultimately, even if it's not the first time, ultimately that will take you to the top. And I guess that's what I would tell myself because I learned, thank goodness I did take some risks. Thank goodness I thought big because that's why I get to be in this fortunate situation now. And that's that's what I recommend for all of you. Um, you know, the big thing I've heard throughout our entire conversation is to be brave and to step out there be okay with a little bit of failure, but to try things out, even if the rest of the world is telling you no, because it's through that tenacity, that energy, and that drive that you can eventually see success. And if it fails, that's okay. You get to try again. That That's the key, the long-term way. That is. And you know, I even say something about that in my book. I, well, like tr Bill, Bill Gates had another company before Microsoft called Trafodata. And the reason no one's heard about Trafodata is it failed. It didn't work out, but that's okay. Obviously, that didn't cause a problem for him. Then he started Microsoft and, you know, that all worked out. So I think that's a great example because so many of the, the greats in the world, the people who have, you know, conquered the world, dealt with failure. And yeah. don't let it stop you. Dealt with failure first. Yes. Yeah, and failure... So many of us are afraid of that failure, but it's really not something to be afraid of. So that's such an awesome lesson to end with. Liz, if people want to learn more about you and what you're doing, how can they find you? 
Sure. Thank you. So online, I'm on social media, all of the uh, platforms uh, at Liz Elting. And um, also my website, LizElting.com, and my foundation's website, ElizabethElting.Foundation.org. So, yes. Awesome. Well, Liz, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Mike. It's been such a pleasure and an honor for me. Thank you so much for having me.